Good morning and welcome to the Intelligence Espresso from the Security Distillery. Every week, we aim to distill world affairs in the field of security and intelligence to a bite-sized and hopefully entertaining morning briefing. On behalf of my colleagues in Dublin, I'm Christopher Dunn. On this week's episode, we will be discussing Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's rapid tour of Europe, the escalating conflict in Sudan, and how the conflicts and so many others are emblematic of a modern-day scramble for Africa among Eastern and Western powers. And finally, the results from the recent Turkish and Thai elections. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky embarked this week on a whirlwind tour of European capitals, meeting with leaders in Italy, the Vatican, Germany, France, and the UK over the span of several days. The purpose of his visit was to elicit further material military support from Western leaders in advance of the impending, and much discussed, counteroffensive Ukrainian forces are expected to launch in the coming weeks. Zelensky pushed leaders to support a fighter jet coalition to push back against increasingly common Russian aerial bombardments in and around Kyiv. While leaders like Macron in France and Sunak in Britain declined, they did pledge continued logistical training, support, and weapons assistance. Britain pledged additional short-range missiles, Challenger tanks, and the training of 1,500 Ukrainian troops on British soil. This comes a week after the Sunak government announced it provided Kyiv with Storm Shadow cruise missiles, known to have a range of more than 250 kilometers. The British missiles were the first known shipment of longer-range weaponry that Kyiv has long sought from its allies. President Macron has pledged light tanks, armored vehicles, air defense systems, and the training of 2,000 Ukrainian soldiers in France and another 4,000 in Poland. German Chancellor Schultz announced a military aid package for Ukraine of 2.7 billion euros. Russia condemned the Western pledges of further military aid, but stated that the additional weapons would not be able to change the course of the war. Continued warfare between rival army factions in Sudan reached the one-month mark this past week, with hundreds more killed in fighting in West Darfur. Much of the fighting has taken place in and around the regional capital of Al-Jananiya, with the Sudanese Doctors' Union stating this past Tuesday that in only two days, May 12th and 13th, 280 were killed and 169 wounded in the surrounding area. Destruction from the fighting is thought to have displaced an estimated 100,000 people, according to estimates from the Norwegian Refugee Council. This recent escalation of violence comes after a significant bout of fighting in late April, during which at least 150 lives were lost. The residents of al have for weeks been trapped and stranded within the city, cut off from basic needs like water and vital health services. Moreover, electricity and internet cuts have significantly impeded communication. The fighting in West Darfur has forced tens of thousands of people to flee across the border into Chad. Fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid reaction force in Sudan's Darfur region has widened, drawing in Arab militias and largely non-Arab African armed groups who have participated in the, in the recurrent conflict since the beginning of the Darfur crisis in 2003, dashing any hopes for a quick ceasefire. The aforementioned Arab militias and non-Arab African armed groups 
have expanded their operations across the continent with insurgencies, particularly in Central and West Africa, destabilizing governments and triggering coup d'etats. This has been seen in Burkina Faso, which saw two coups in 2022, Mali, which has seen two coups between 2020 and 2021, and, also in 2021, a successful coup in Guinea and a failed one in Niger. These countries face the most pressing threats posed by terrorist organizations, most frequently aligned with the so-called Islamic State or Al-Qaeda, resulting in frustrated and exasperated military officers overthrowing democratically elected officials to take control of the country and the security situation. Seeking external assistance to fight these armed groups, many of the West and Central African countries have sought alternative security partners, most notably Russia. The Russian Wagner Mercenary Group has been active in Africa over the past several years, training troops and carrying out engagements in Mali, Mozambique, the Central African Republic, and Sudan. Their training and support is coupled with affordable Russian military weapons, the best friend to military heads of state or authoritarian strongmen, with, for example, Wagner training and equipping the rapid support forces in the ongoing Sudanese conflict. The end results are exploitable crises, where Russia is able to gain allies and diplomatic cover as it loses support elsewhere in the world because of its actions in Ukraine, while also taking control of the rich natural resources that as weakened African governments are unable to protect. This deeply concerns Western powers. In much of West Africa, France, historically a dominant paternalistic force in the region due to its colonial history, has been squeezed out, with the ruling military junta in Burkina Faso, led by Captain Ibrahim Traore, forcing out France and its military entirely, choosing instead to align with Russia. Not only do Russia-aligned states provide the Kremlin with a lifeline in the face of intended diplomatic isolation, but it also threatens U.S. interests in the region. Africa is experiencing a population boom unequaled anywhere else in the world today, which could help power future economic growth globally. If not managed properly, this boom could cause instability with ripple effects felt in Washington, Paris, London, and other Western capitals. Moreover, African countries represent the largest voting bloc of UN member states, with more than one quarter of the world's voice. No power without Africa in its corner can credibly claim the title of global leader. This has caused the Biden administration to invest extensive time and resources into winning back and maintaining alliances across the continent. Already in 2023, high-ranking U.S. officials have been to a quarter of African countries promoting a new, more co-equal partnership. This is occurring while Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has also crisscrossed the continent, attempting to draw more nations into the Russian sphere of influence. Factoring in Chinese economic investments in the continent through its Belt and Road Initiative and the lingering influence of France and other colonial powers, there does certainly appear to be an ongoing 21st century version of the scramble for Africa. Finally, checking in with a story we previously covered. On the Intelligence Espresso episode from the 5th of April, we spoke with Joe Moffat, the author of a security distillery article on Turkey's then forthcoming elections. They were heralded as the closest in recent memory, with long-term incumbent Recep Tayyip Erdogan facing his stiffest challenge in nearly 20 years in the presidency. On the 14th of May, those elections took place. With polling indicating a near 50-50 split going into the vote, 
the end results confirmed the picture of a polarized nation. Erdogan ended up with 49.51% of the vote, with his main rival, Kemal Kilikarolu, getting 44.88%. Since both challengers failed to win an outright majority, the election will head to a runoff on May 28th. Many Turks were fed up with Erdogan, particularly over his economic policies, with his questionable approach to interest rates resulting in sky-high inflation. He was also the target of widespread anger for his handling of the aftermath of the earthquakes, which rocked parts of Turkey and Syria this past February and left over 50,000 dead in Turkey alone. Nonetheless, he led in the initial round of voting, with third-place challenger, nationalist Sinan Ogun, posed to play kingmaker after receiving a little over 5% of the vote. But Turkey was not the only consequential election on the 14th of May. Thailand held its general elections as well, and delivered a shocking result. In a dramatic blowout many observers did not foresee, progressives and other members of Thailand's pro-democracy opposition parties scored a stunning victory, dealing a major blow to military-backed incumbents. The Move Forward Party, led by Pita Limjaroenrat, is projected to win 151 seats in the House, the highest of any group, while the populist opposition party, Futai, won 141 seats. Collectively, the two parties will now hold at least 292 of the 500 seats in the House. However, despite this roaring win, there is no guarantee that Limjar Oenrat will be allowed to rule. That's because the military junta that seized power in 2014 rewrote the Constitution to ensure they maintain a huge say in who can lead, whether or not they win the popular vote. Neither opposition party won an outright majority of 376 seats needed to form a government, while the Move Forward Party has struck a deal with seven other parties to rule, collectively holding 313 seats. Under the Junta-era Constitution, Thailand's unelected 250-seat Senate must vote together with the House to choose a new leader and the Senate is chosen entirely by the military and has previously voted for pro-military candidates. Because a party needs a majority of the combined houses, so that's out of 750 seats, to elect a prime minister, it means opposition parties need almost three times as many votes in the lower house to be able to elect the next leader and form a government. Despite this undeniable win for democracy, it remains to be seen if it will actually be allowed to flourish. That's it for this week's edition of the Intelligence Espresso from the Security Distillery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at the Security Distillery. On behalf of my colleagues here in Dublin, Yoway, Fiora, and Mikla, I'm Christopher Dunn. We'll see you next week.